All right, well, we'll be turning to the book of Revelation in your Bibles this morning. If you have trouble finding the book of Revelation, it's really easy. It's in the back of the book. Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter number 3. And while, while you're turning there in your Bibles, I want to give you a little, a little bit of a picture of what's going on here in the book. Uh, many people, when they think of Revelation, they, they think of a book that's is kind, of, kind of mysterious. You know, a lot of people, they, they, they'll think of Revelation, oh, it's all about what's going to happen in the future. And yeah, some of it is about that. Um, you know, where does, where does Revelation... <coughs> Excuse me. Is Revelation a book where I go to just because I want to I wanna see what's going to happen at the end? Well, yeah, it does tell us about, about some of those things. But the book itself, we know, was written by a man named John. And I want to tell you where this came from. So John, he was a man that knew Jesus Christ. He walked with him. And John, he was a guy that um, he, he was kind of hated. There was these men that, that really, they, they didn't like John. They took him and they captured him and they put him on this island where he was banished, where he wasn't allowed to be part of society anymore. They more or less just captured him and they left him there for dead. While he was there, the Lord spoke to John. The Lord gave John a, a vision. And that's why as when you see through this book of Revelation, John, he's writing, you'll see these words. He'll say, I saw this. I saw this, I saw that. And what he's saying is, in my vision, God said this. And so he's taking these things and he is writing them down and he's saying, this is what I know that, that God has for me or that God has for us. Now here's something interesting too. In the first few chapters, God writes a specific note. He gives a letter to a number of churches. Now, he's, he says, John, I got a letter. You're going to take this letter, and it's going to be delivered. Now, he was there banished by himself, but he says, all right, Lord, I'm going to write it down because you told me to. He writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. He writes a, church, a letter to the church at Laodicea. And you're going to see these, these letters. He addresses them specifically. And God is saying to these churches, hey, church at Ephesus, I've got a, I've got a problem with you. Um, I got something here you guys need to work on, and here's what it is. And then he says, says it's to the church of Laodicea, I've got something here that you guys need to work on, and here's, here's my word to you. Now, we're going to look at one of those letters this morning. We're going to look at one of the messages that God himself said, John, here's a letter to the church at Laodicea, and we're going to read this letter. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you what's, what's going on here a little bit, because there's some words when we read it might confuse you. Here in a minute, you're getting ready to see the word angel. In God's word, when you see the word angel, the first thing we think of is this, oh, this beautiful being up in the sky that just shines bright and has these wings. Yes, that is applied to these angelic beings. But folks, do you realize that the word angel itself just simply means messenger? I mean, that's what the angels were. They were the messengers of God. When Jesus was born, the angels showed up. Hey, Mary, I got a message for you. You're going to have a baby. Hey, Joseph, I got a message for you. Mary's going to have a baby. Oh, hey, shepherds, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. That was the angels delivering a message. Folks, angel simply means messenger. So in this passage, we're getting ready to see. He writes a letter to the church at Laodicea, and he says, unto the angel. When you see that word, he's talking about this letter to the messenger that's 
at Laodicea. That was to the pastor. So he writes this letter to the pastor, and the pastor is to deliver it to the church. Let's go ahead and jump in, and we're going to see how we can take this and we can use it. And folks, I hope it's your prayer this morning that you'll be able to take something out of this passage and use it this year. The reason we're even looking at this is for this reason. I want it to be decided in your heart this morning that in 2020 you will do everything you can to be closer to God than you was in 2019. Every year we're moving forward where we have, we have less days today than we had yesterday to serve God. And I want us all to be as close to God as we possibly can in this year. And we're going to see what God says to them that applies to us. So in Revelation chapter number 3, let's start our reading in verse number 14. Revelation 3, 14. And unto the angel of the church, see, angel, the messenger, unto the angel that's at the church of the Laodiceans, Write these things, saith the Amen. By the way, here's something interesting. Notice Amen is capitalized. In this verse, Amen is a name for Jesus. It's a name for God. It's a very interesting way that they would use that there because God's word, of course, we know he's the final word. What he says is it. It's true. It's important. So unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So God just said in verse number 14, John, jot this down. So he starts writing in verse number 15. Here's the beginning of the letter. Verse number 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear the message that you wrote to the church at Laodicea this morning. Lord, no doubt this is a message that we can take, that this thing that you said to John, that you know you gave it to the Laodiceans, but Lord, well, we can apply that to our own hearts and to our own lives. Lord, may we take it and use it. And God, I pray that you would do a great and mighty work in this church this upcoming year. I pray that you would work in our hearts this year. And Lord, I pray that you would search us and know us. If there's something about us that doesn't glorify you, Lord, show it to us. If there's something we can do to draw closer to you, Lord, show it to us. And Lord, may we be hot and on fire for you. I love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Well, folks, here, this very last verse, verse number 22, he shows us that this applies to us. He wrote these letters to the churches, and in verse 22 he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Folks, I want to tell you, this morning we all have ears. This is for us. We can take this message and we can apply it to us. So let's dig into this letter at the Laodiceans and see how we can take and we can use this thing. And this is a letter that when I'm sure the Laodiceans received it, 
you probably weren't very happy about. This isn't something that, that's a letter saying, oh, Laodiceans, you're perfect, you're wonderful, everything you're doing is great. Well, the fact of the matter is, we all have things that we could be doing better. But look at the phrasage that the Spirit gave to John. He says this. He says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Now, folks, if you know anything about me, I think most of you do, and I'll even show you, I really like my coffee. I mean, when I say I like coffee, I really like my coffee. At home, I have got one, two, three, four, five, five or six different ways to make a cup of coffee. You know, a lot of people, when they see that, they say, man, coffee's coffee. I say, no, it isn't, because there's different ways you can make coffee. I like my coffee. Now, there's two things about coffee, though. I have been known to just walk into a, a kitchen and pick up a coffee pot that's been sitting for three or four hours and drink a cup just because I'm thirsty. But typically, when you want a cup of coffee, you want it one of two ways. You want it hot or you want it iced. You know, you don't go to a Starbucks drive-thru and say, hey, I want a cup of coffee that's been sitting out for four or five hours. What do you got? You know, you don't say that. That's not something that people want. You know, they're going to, they want something iced and fluffy. They've got something now called uh, a pink drink or something. I mean, this drink is literally, it's, it's pink. It's not even coffee. Why would you drink it? Anyhow, you know, they, they've got all kinds of stuff, and it's cold, and it's ice, and yeah, that's one way, but man, I, I like my coffee. I like it hot. You know, when you take that first sip of hot coffee in the morning, you can feel the burn all the way down. So, oh, yeah, you know, it wakes you up. It's good. Folks, this is kind of the picture that we're getting. The Lord is looking at us spiritually, and He's looking down in our hearts, and He, it's almost like, we have a thermometer, spiritually speaking. He's taking this thermometer and he's, he's sticking it in us and he's going to say, all right, I want to know, are you hot or are you cold? Which one? Now, here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing. He looks at the Laodiceans and he doesn't see hot and he doesn't see cold. He sees something in the middle. Look what the Bible says. God said to the Laodiceans, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Do you see the picture? It's almost like he, this, the, the picture is that someone reaches down and picks up this, this cup of something to drink and it's just, it's just it's not what they want. It's disgusting and they just spew it out of their mouth. To give you a little bit of humor, <laughs> this, uh, there's a guy that I know. I'm going to tell you his name. He was a guy that was an avid tobacco chewer. And you probably already know where I'm going with this. He was in his pickup one day, and as he was driving down the road, he had his tobacco juice cup right here, and he had his drinking cup right here. And as he was driving down the road, he didn't look down at his cups, and he picked up the wrong cup. And he took a big old sip of what was in his cup, and when he did that, he spewed it out of his mouth because it was disgusting. It's not what he wanted to drink. It surprised him. It was gross. Folks, do you see the picture of what God is saying to the church at Laodicea? He's saying, hey, you, Christians, church, you Laodicean church, I've, I'm watching you. I see what you're doing. You're not on fire for God, and you're neither cold for God. You're just kind of there. I mean, you're just, you're just lukewarm. You're not hot. You're not cold. And, and when I take a drink of that, it's, it's, just, it's not something I like. I'm going to spew it out of my mouth. I would rather you be cold or hot than to be lukewarm, just kind of eh, in the middle. Folks, the question we're going to ask ourselves is this. And this, when we look at our own Christianity, we see the letter that he wrote to the Laodiceans. 
A lot of these things we are going to have to look in our own hearts and we have to answer these questions for ourselves. Because, because I don't have a spiritual thermometer that I can pop in someone's heart and say, let's see how on fire for God they are. These are some things we're going to have to answer for ourselves. So let's do this. As we work our way through this passage, ask yourself this morning, am I cold? Am I hot? Or am I just somewhere in the middle? Let's go ahead and ask ourselves this question because I can look at my own spiritual thermometer, but I can't look at anyone else's. Let's ask ourselves. Let's see what number one is in being lukewarm. So I want to ask myself this. Is my Christianity lukewarm? Is it lukewarm? Well, let's see what the Bible says. What does it mean to be a lukewarm Christian? Well, I'm going to very simply ask you this, and this is the simple answer. Are you right now on fire for God? If you had to ask yourself that question, am I right now in this moment and sitting in this church service, am I on fire for God? Is it, is it important to me to serve God and to love God and to show that I love Him? You know, it's amazing to see that uh, someone that is hungry for the things of God, boy, they, they, they go after it, they want it. You ask yourself, are you on fire? When was the last time you were excited to be able to get into the house of God? When was the last time you opened up the Scriptures and you read something and, oh, God blessed you and you just thank God for it? When was the last time you saw sin and the sin just broke you apart because of how much it hurts, folks? I ask you, are you on fire for God? The Bible tells us over in the book of Matthew, it says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? Because they shall be filled. You know, I think about being hungry. Are you on fire for God? Let me ask you, are you hungry? Do you want it? Maybe there have been a time that you spent some time fasting. Maybe it be for medical reasons, maybe for spiritual reasons, whatever. But let me tell you something interesting about fasting. The first day is usually one of the hardest. Because the first day, you'll wake up in the morning, you know, you, you go in the bathroom, you brush your hair, you walk into the kitchen, and you're thinking, coffee, bacon, and eggs. By the way, that's something else about me. I like my bacon. I like my bacon and my eggs. It's good. That's, that's keto stuff right there. You know, I, I, I like my breakfast. And so you wake up, and you go in there, and you're getting ready to eat your breakfast, and you're thinking, oh, man, I can't. Then you start getting a little bit of a hunger pain. Lunchtime, oh, it hits you again. Man, I'm really hungry. Supper time, you're thinking, oh, I've already gone all day. Can I cheat now? No. You know, day two rolls around. Day two, maybe you can start getting a little bit of headaches, especially if you're dehydrated. Day three rolls around, depending on who you are. Sometimes day three can get pretty hard. But watch this. Did you know on day four, you're not hungry anymore? It's, it's really a strange thing. It's odd. Day five? Yeah, I mean, you want to eat. I mean, you feel the habit of eating. You know, hey, yeah, there's some food over there. But really, the hunger pains are gone. Can I tell you this when it comes to being on fire for God? If we are going to go after God, we have to be hungry for the things of God. There are people that they'll, they'll get saved. They'll hear God died for them on the cross. And, and man, they'll just, be, they'll just be elated and excited that someone loves them and they'll want to worship God. Then maybe one day I'll slip by and they'll, 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 they'll not have their time with the Lord that day. Maybe another day will slip by, two days. And man, it hurts that they've, they've missed out on some opportunities with the Lord. Day three will slip by. I want to tell you something. Week number three, week number four, week number five those spiritual hungers kind of go away. That's when you go from being on fire to being kind of cold. 
You're just not hungry anymore. Folks, the Bible tells us we need to be hungry. We need to go after it. We need to want it. Can I tell you this? There was one time where I had been, and this was a, just a, a dietary thing. I was in a fast for a couple days. And, and something happened that really stressed me out. And so I decided I was going to stress eat. Because, hey, I've been good for several days, so I can eat something now. So I went and I got me just a, a big old burger. And I just dug into that thing. You know what happened when I was done eating it? I realized how hungry I was. I got real hungry. Like, I realized, man, this is, this is good. And I just wanted to eat more and more and more because I had been so long since I've had something that tasted so good. Folks, let me tell you, if you're over here and you feel like maybe you're in the cold spot, you're not hungry for it anymore, the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you get that taste of God, it makes you hungry for more. And then if you go after more and you get some more and you're filled and then you'll get hungry and you'll go after some more and then that'll fill you up. Folks, we have to stay at it. I ask you this morning, are you on fire for God or are we cold? Are we to the point where we're just, we're not even hungry anymore? Yeah, God's real. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Man, I'm, I'm born again. But we could see the cold Christian as someone that's gotten so far away from God that you would never even know it if they were a Christian. This is the person where it's been years since they've been into a church. I met a man once. This is when I was working customer service. And, and, I, and I know we don't judge books by their covers. But this is a guy, he was a great guy. I enjoyed talking to him. But if you ever see a guy that looks like a biker, that was this guy. I'm talking, he, you never saw him without his dark sunglasses on. Had the had the kind of the pointed goatee going on, had, had the beard, and he was always wearing black, you know, wore chains and stuff. By the way, one of the nicest guys I ever met. I love talking to the guy. And I remember we used to talk to him, and we would, and me and my buddy, we would invite him to church and things like that, and he would say, man, I know more about the Bible than you think I do. And then I would have guys like that say, if I stepped into the door of a church now, the place would fall in on me. And I'm thinking, man, you have missed out on how good God is. You see, this could be someone that knows God, that has trusted God as their Savior, but is so far away, they're just cold. The, the flame is there, but it's, but it's barely even a coal. Now see, you've got the Christian that's on fire. They're hungry. They want more. They're looking. Then you've got the person that doesn't care. Now you see the person that's in the middle, they might be doing all the things right. They might be doing the, have the right actions. They'll be in the right place. They'll walk the right walk. They'll talk the right talk. But truth be told, they're not cold. They're not running away from God. But really, they're not, they're not hungry either. They're just kind of there. Folks, what God wants for us, what I want for the church, and what your spirit wants for you, and what God wants for you is to be hungry, to be on fire. And the neat thing about a fire is this, and we've seen this in Montana. When a little coal strikes out here, what happens? Man, that thing turns to a wildfire. I don't know if you remember it. I think it was last year, maybe the year before last. I can't remember which one of the fires it was. But my buddy, he was talking to the fireman. And he said they figured out how this fire started. A bird, I think he said it was an eagle, flew down to the ground and picked up a snake. And then he took off. And the snake hit the transformer on a power line pole. And then it fried the bird and the snake. And it fell to the ground and burned acres. And they went back, they kind of tracked it back, and then there was a, a burned up snake and a bird. And they said, oh, okay, well, that's how it started. 
You know, it's amazing to see once something catches fire in someone's heart, how other people can see that, and that can begin to overflow. Folks, I want us this year in 2020 to be on fire for God. I want, I want God to do something in our hearts that the whole town of Big Timber can see. I want people to see that there's something different. And I ask us this question because God said it to the Laodiceans. Are we hot? Are we cold? Or are we just somewhere in the middle? Now I'm going to ask you this question. We ask, we ask if our Christianity is lukewarm. Let's explore this for a minute. Why do Christians get cold or lukewarm? Why does that happen? Well, he gives us an answer in verse number 17. See, in verse number 16, he said, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know, in verse number 17, you could almost write the word America beside of it. I'm going to show you why. Because America is the land of plenty and the land of blessing. Read verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, here's why I say we could put the word America beside there. We are so blessed in this country. Folks, our lower, lower class has it better than some of the upper class in other places in this world. We don't realize just how good we've got it until we are to go there and see it. Folks, we are blessed. And he says, hey, church at Laodicea, you've got it so good, you've forgotten that you need me. God is saying, church at Laodicea, you've, you've got your goods. Man, you've got your riches Hey, Laodicea in church, right now you've got plenty. Your storehouse is full. But you don't even know that you're spiritually decrepit. Did you see the second part of that verse? Look at it again. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. Now look at the second part. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor and blind and naked. You know what God is saying to the Laodiceans? He's saying, look, physically, materially, you're rich. But spiritually, you are broke. You don't have a dime to your name is what he's saying. Because when we look at our life, I might have physical stuff. I might have all the stuff in the world. And I think to myself, man, I am set. I can kick back. I don't need anything. Let me tell you what. When we get to the point where we think we don't need anything, that's getting dangerously close to saying, hey, I don't even need God. Folks, we always need God. We look at the story of a man like Job. He was a guy, physically, he didn't need anything. He had it all. But at the drop of a hat, he had nothing. You know what he had left? He had God. Let me tell you something. The material stuff of this world, you will lose it, but you will never lose your relationship with God. God said He would never forsake us. He would never leave us. And if I don't have my relationship with God, it's just the same as having nothing. How many of you have heard or even seen? You have all these stories about these celebrities or these famous people, these rich people. You know, they'll have billions and billions of dollars. They'll have houses. They'll have land. They'll have, they'll have everything anyone could ever want. Then something will happen, maybe with his marriage, maybe with his kids. His, his, his wife will get mad at him. His wife will, his wife will leave him. I mean, we, we've seen that with all kinds of people. You know, his kids will be upset with him. He'll, he'll lose his kids. And then he'll just 
sit down. And this man who has billions and billions of dollars to his name, he'll sit down and feel like he has nothing because he's lost his wife, his kids, his family. He's lost the love. And he feels poor. He feels lost. He feels wretched. He feels naked. Why? Because he realized the things that really matter. You know, we just come out of Christmas, right? How many of you have seen a miracle on 34th Street, right? And then, was it, was it that one? The guy that uh, he wished he were never been born, and he went back and saw his life if he had never been born. Uh, what was it? Yeah, it's a wonderful life. There you go. Yeah, it's a wonderful life. You, know, you think you need all these things, and then when you realize you don't have them, man, you realize you really don't have nothing. Can I say that might be true when it comes to our friends, our family? But I want to tell you this. It's even more true when it comes to your spirit and your walk with Jesus Christ. We can have all the things, and when we get settled in, and when we get comfortable, hey, everything's going good. Man, I don't need anything. Somehow we forget to turn to God during that. And it's amazing. Then all of a sudden a crisis will come. Maybe things start getting shook up a little bit. Oh, no, what's, what's going to happen to my business? I'm going to lose my job. You know, oh no, my, my family member's sick, or, or, or oh no, what, what's going to happen with, with, with this situation with my future? I'm losing this, I'm losing that. What's going to happen now? I'm sick, whatever it is. Then all of a sudden things start getting shaky. What do we do? We start turning back to God, don't we? I almost wonder. I wonder if sometimes God has to rock the boat a little bit just because we're too comfortable. You know, it could be. It could be that sometimes we're just so complacent that God has to put us on our knees so that the last place we can look is up because he wants us to look up. Folks, this is where lukewarm Christianity comes from. He says he wouldn't want us to be, or he would rather us be hot or cold and not lukewarm. Why? Because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But we don't even know how wretched and miserable and how poor and blind and naked we really are. Folks, safety breeds complacency. Let us make sure we do this. Let's make sure that we never feel safe with the things we can touch. Let's make sure we never feel safe by how big our bank account is. Let's make sure we never feel safe because our house is paid off. Because let me tell you something. We might have our house's car and be completely out of debt and have a big bank account, but if we die without Christ, we still have nothing. Folks, if we live this life without Christ, we still have nothing. Let's make sure that we never get to the point where we feel too safe. Now, let's watch this. In verse number 18, he kind of takes us the next step. He's, God says, yeah, you really are blind. You've got all this stuff, but you're missing it. Verse number 18. I counsel thee. God says, this is what I want you to do. Buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Talking about being truly rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Folks, he's saying this. I want you, church at Laodicea, I want you to be spiritually rich. I want you to be rich in the things of me. Hey, come to me and buy the gold that will never perish, that will never pass away. Hey, God says, come to me and get my clothes that are white and pure, and then you can be clothed. Hey, put on my eye salve so that you can clearly see. Folks, we need to be rich in the things of God. See, here's the picture. There may be people all across this world that materially, they have nothing. 
I mean, we're talking about the people that don't even have two dimes to rub together, rub together in their pocket. They have nothing. But when you talk to them, they're so close to God. They have so much peace in their heart. They have such a hunger to be able to seek after the things of God and, and to be able to know more about Him. I think it would, in some ways, it would almost do us good to be able to need God that way. Folks, we look back through history and hear about people that, that to have just a piece of God's Word was precious. Times when the Word of God was illegal and you could be put to death for it. Where they would have just a simple page, maybe two or three pages, and they would take it and they would read it over and over and over and they would hide it in their house so that no one would find it. Where there were people, they would take a passage of God's Word and, and they would memorize it. And with 50 or 60 different people, they would all memorize these portions of Scripture. That way they would just have some of it. Folks, that's hunger. That is hunger for God's Word. Are we hungry? Do we want it? Are we, are we on fire for the things of God? Do you want God to do something in your home? Do you want God to set a fire in your soul? I hope you do. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we get on fire? Well, let's look at verse number 19, he tells us. God says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Folks, we saw over in verse number 18, number one, if we're going to catch on fire for God this year, number one, as he said in verse number 18, we're going to take action. I am going to find my treasure in God, not in things on the earth. I'm going to go to God and buy that gold that's been, that's been tried with fire, that'll never melt, that'll never pass away. I'm going to go to God and get my clothes, my white raiments from Him. I'm not going to care about the things of this earth. I'm going to care more about God than I'm going to care about my job. I'm going to care more about serving God than I'm going to care about making everyone else around me happy. I'm going to get, I'm going to get hungry. I'm going to go after that, and that's going to be my priority. I'm going to catch on fire for Him. So we're going to find our treasure in Him. We're going to be clothed spiritually. We're going to Put on that eye salve so that we can see. We're going to open our eyes. Now look at these next couple words. This is the ones in 19. He said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Hey, can I tell you this for a second? It's a little bit off topic, but it's in, it's in the scripture. You know, when I was a kid, there, there was a lot of people that, that used to, or that say today, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't punish your kids. Let me tell you, when I was a kid, I didn't get whippings. I got whoopings, okay? That, that's, that's a southern term. You don't get whippings, you get whoopings. And, you know, as, as, as a little kid, when you're being punished, I didn't like it. But can I tell you something? I always knew my parents loved me. I knew they cared enough about me because they wanted to see me do right. And looking back, I am thankful that my parents tried their best, and which they did. They, they took effort at teaching me what was right and what was wrong. And can I say this? If God, when you open his word, if he takes you, he starts to squeeze you just a little bit and says, hey, I want you to get this right. Now, not that God would be violent with any of us. That is showing us that he loves us. Did you see what the verse said? As many as I love, I rebuke. As many as I love, I chasten. Because God loves us, he wants to see us doing right. Folks, just like my own kids. I love my kids. I want my kids to grow up and be the best servants of God they can be. 
You know, when I look at my boys, I don't see just these, these two little kids. I see these two boys as future grown men that's going to be facing the world ahead of them. And I want them to do the absolute best for God that they can possibly do. And I'm going to train them and teach them what's right. I'm going to teach them the word of God. And when they do wrong, I'm going to correct that and show them why it was wrong. Folks, if God ever has to correct us, he does it because he loves us. So when that happens, this is how we catch on fire for God. He says, number one, be zealous, therefore. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore. This isn't a word we use very much. Have you ever heard of someone being a zealot? Okay. That's the kind of guy we'd look at and say, man, that guy's a fanatic. That guy's just, he's crazy. Now, I'm not saying we're going to be these, these kooks, okay, that are just, uh, that, you know, that they're just weird. Now, if someone thinks I'm weird for believing the Bible, fine. But I do believe this. I do believe that I need to look at God's word, and that needs to be the biggest part of my life that it can be. That I am going to passionately seek after it. I'm going to love it. I got a story for you about a zealot. Uh, back at home, I say home, this is my home. Back in North Carolina, there was this biggest rivalry between two basketball teams. And I, we don't hear about it much here. But it was the Duke Blue Devils and the Carolina Tar Heels. I mean, the, people talk about the, these, these two towns. They're actually pretty close to one another. They're separated by a bridge. You know, the bridge is like the, the dividing point. But, man, you talk about just this absolute hatred between these two teams. And, and the, you know, it was the, like a, a family division type thing. Anyhow, I knew this one girl. She was the, the biggest Duke Blue Devil fan. I mean, just, just crazy. Let me tell you what this girl did. She went to a... Carolina Tar Heel basketball game. The Carolina Tar Heels were playing Wake Forest. Duke wasn't even playing. She shows up at this basketball stadium wearing a Duke blue t-shirt and her face was Duke blue from top to bottom. And she had all this, you know, these Duke, these Duke foam fingers and this Duke shirt on and everything. And I'm thinking, Duke's not even playing, you know? And here you are wearing their colors and you're wearing their shirt. and Man, they're not even here, let me tell you. She was a fanatic. She was a fan. She loved her team. That's what she fought for. That's who she cheered for. She was a zealot. Folks, we need to be zealous for God's word. We need to fall in love with it. We need to chase after it. We need to, we need to be hungry for it because I want to tell you, when we get hungry for it, God feeds us. There will never be a day I go to the Lord and say, Lord, spiritually, I'm hungry. Can I have some supper? God will never look at his child and say, nope. And why would he do that? The Lord says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If I go to God hungry for something from him, he's going to give it to me. So I want to tell us, we just need to get hungry for God's word. If we get hungry, he'll fill us. So I'm going to be zealous. I'm going to love it. I'm going to desire it. I'm going to chase it. And then lastly, this is the tough one. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, verse number 19. Be zealous, therefore... And repent. Repent. Now that's a word that we, that usually we only talk about when we're talking about the Bible. And with this last word, we're done. Paul talked a lot about repentance in Corinthians. He gave us a good definition of what it was. He, he wrote a letter in 1 Corinthians, told them about some things that they did wrong. And then he come back in 2 Corinthians and said, Hey, I wrote a letter and I made you guys sorry. And I'm glad that I made you guys sorry. Because you didn't just say you were sorry. You are sorry unto repentance. 
You actually took action against the things that you did wrong. Folks, repentance is when I look at myself and I say, man, I messed up. Repentance is when, when I get pulled over for speeding and I say, officer, I was speeding. I was wrong. You need to give me a ticket. Now, how many of us have ever said that before, right? Folks, that's what repentance is. It's when I, I see myself as the one that's wrong. I take God's side against me. So if I am ever going to catch on fire for God, there has to be a time where I take a long, hard look at my life and I get down on my hands and knees before Him and I say, God, I realize I've, I've been cold. I've been lukewarm. You've not been happy with me. Lord, forgive me and make me hungry for You. Folks, we've got to repent of it. So if we look in our own hearts and if we see complacency, if we see our spiritual lives as being mundane, if we just see our, our walk with God just being ho-hum, folks, that's something we need to repent of. Because can I tell you this? God never moves away from us. Ever. God will never move away from us. If there is ever a day when I just kind of step back and evaluate my relationship with Christ and I think to myself, huh, how come I'm not as close to God as I used to be? I'm going to tell you this. God didn't leave you. and God didn't leave me. So what happened? That means we have walked away from Him. Because God is sitting there looking at us, wondering when we're going to come close to Him. We look at that story of the prodigal son. This man was a son of the father. The father was always right there. He was always at home, watching, waiting for his son to come home. With loving arms, he opened when the son came home, and he was just ready to give him forgiveness. He wrapped him up in a big hug, put a ring on his finger, put a coat on his back, and said, you are my son, and I love you. Folks, that's what God wants to do for us. God, if we, if we get hungry for him and we come to him, he's not going to say, oh, oh, yeah, you finally decided to come home. Huh? No. Folks, God will welcome us with open arms and He will put a ring on our fingers and shoes on our feet. He'll tell us He loves us and He will light a fire in our souls. And I want Him to do that for us. Folks, will you let God set a fire in your heart in 2020? Well, this year, will you commit to be being closer to God than you were in 2019? The Bible talks about old things being passed away. You know, Paul talks about, well, we can't look behind us. If we're looking behind all the time, we'll never be looking forward. Let's look ahead. You know, here we are coming into a new year, and I want to beg each and every one of us. As he said to the church at Laodicea, I'd rather you be on fire for me or just, or even cold. Just don't, be, just don't be lukewarm. Be something. Folks, let's get excited this year about serving God. Let's catch on fire for God. Let's, let's open God's word. Spend time and let him speak to us. Let's, let's get calluses on our knees from spending time in prayer with him. Let's do everything we can to be on fire for God. And just like the question I asked you at the beginning, what's your spiritual thermometer like this morning? Now, that's why I said that's a question you've got to ask for yourself. You know, I, I, I can't see that thermometer. You can't see my thermometer. That's just between you and God. When you look at your own, what do you see? When God's looking at you, what does he see? And let's see if we can't get that thing as hot as we possibly can. And let's catch on fire for God. Folks, if we could, let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Folks, in just a moment, we're going to be having a time of prayer. We're going to have our invitation. I'm going to ask you to do this. As you look down at that thermometer, as God is looking into your heart of hearts right now, 
Is there any sin in your life that's keeping you from catching on fire for Him? Is God looking at you, does He see lukewarm? Does He see hot? Does maybe He even see cold? What does He see? I'm going to ask you, are you willing to do what it takes? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to be zealous for the things of God so that He can light a fire in your soul? Folks, if there's something holding you back, let's repent of that today. And why don't we ask God to help us to be zealous for the things of Him? Our Father, we love You. I'm so thankful for the truth of God's Word. Lord, we see what you this, this letter here that you wrote to the Laodicean church. And Lord, no doubt a, a lesson such as this is one that we can take and apply here even to our own lives. I pray that here in this upcoming year that, that you would set a fire in our hearts. May other people see this. And I pray that you would send a revival here to this own church. I pray that we would see lives changed. I pray that we would see souls saved. I pray that we would see prayers answered. Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work in and through us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is just a brief moment for you to be able to do business with God. If maybe God has laid something upon your heart and you needed time to pray there in your seat, this is your time. Or maybe you'd like to gather around the altar. The altars are open as well. But this is your time to do business with the Lord. something from God? Are you going to Him hungry? If you are, you'll be filled. pray that you would just, Lord, take us this year, and I pray that you would do something in our lives you've never done before. I pray that this year you would, as we've already said, that you would set us on fire for you. Help us to break out of this mediocrity. Help us to leave behind the, this complacency that we have, that we get in our hearts. Lord, help me to do everything I can to grow closer to you. I pray that you would set a fire in my own heart. Lord, I just want to see you work this year. Now, Lord, I thank you so much for each and every person that's come here today. Lord, it's always a blessing to be in the house of God. It's always a blessing to, to be able to gather into fellowship with the family of God. I pray that you would just help us as we leave here to reach out into our community and do everything we can to draw closer to you each and every day. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.